Call the neighbors and fetch the kids. It's time for Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. From connected cars to electric planes, Ken and Sasha have the information to keep you well informed. So get ready, get set, and go. Here's Ken and Sasha. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I'm your host, Ken Chester, in studio with my bright and sassy, and not to mention brassy, co-host, Sasha Little. (laughs) Morning, Sasha. Good morning, sir. And boy, do we have a lot of news to share with you this week. If you've been following the news, you've heard about General Motors and their current plans to close plants, lay off people, and discontinue some car lines. While on the surface, this seems to be the usual things a manufacturer does in response to market conditions, the truth is, (laughs) it's not. We'll spend this hour talking about what is really going on, its implications for the American automotive industry as a whole, and finally, what it may mean to you as a consumer even if you're not planning to purchase a GM vehicle in the future. Of course, we have tidbits of news to share from the parts bin, but first, for those of you who want to add your voice to the conversation, call or text the show via the Roadworthy Drive line. That number, 872-222-97. I'm sorry, 872-222-9793. Let me say that again, 872 872- Two 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 nine seven nine three. If you prefer written communication, you can email me. That's Ken at RoadworthyDrive.net. In either case, Sasha and I would love to hear from you. Isn't that right? I love talking with the customers who call in. Customers? Uh, well, you know, C- clients, clients, listeners. Listeners work. Listeners. Okay. Just, since just, he's going to pick on me. Yeah. But I love, Um, I especially love... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say names. No, you're not. Um, but the gentleman that was in, let's see, Kansas, I think, um, we had an ongoing text conversation on the drive line. So that was pretty fun. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Well, we were debating autonomous cars and, mm-hmm. and you know who you are. And it was really, really fun. And thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh-huh. Okay, then. Well, since we've got that out of the way, <laughs> and we've said good morning to or hello to our popular ray of sunshine. I am kind of popular. I think that now since people know when they actually call the or text in this point, uh, the drive line that and connect is, with the show, right? But that's kind of me. That's I mean, you, that's your thing. That's that's kind of me. Ah, well, let's see how you tried this one on for size. Okay, from the parts bin. Oh, uh, yes. it's called miniature marvels. What would you buy somebody who has everything? How about what a small version of a working Porsche? Why? Because you could. I uh, mean, one a, a one you could almost call it a toy car, but the man on purpose doesn't call it that. Is uh, it like one of those wheel like those power wheels for oh, your kid? Oh no. Like this can man you builds, drive it? Yes. But the it's man just a builds, micro version. It, basically, they say it's on a scale of 1 to 2.3. So it's a small version of an actual Porsche, which has electric power. It's an e-Porsche, actually. So, like, like I mean, call it a baby. Small. Call it a baby Porsche. That is small, though. But that's the point. If you didn't want, if you want one, <sighs> he doesn't call them kids' cars for the liability issues. I know, but they really right. could be. 
And he he did it for himself. They could be for your 10-year-old child. Could be. But I don't think this one's going to be it. Oh, he my built, gosh. He built, uh, actually, model correct, uh-huh. model correct uh-huh. versions of classic Porsches, which are powered by an electric motor uh-huh. and uh, actually drive. Ironically handle. enough, not being put out as a child's play toy. No. But the photo that they have are two children in the car. Yeah, but this thing actually works. Yeah, right. But And operates the lights and the, the whole bit. Right, but it has two children. Okay, well, let me put it to you this way. About he, eight years old. He doesn't advertise. He does not. He's in, he's in Europe. Okay, all right. What that you, makes okay. so much sense. What, what he's showing, hold on. What he's showing you is a replica of a basically a baby Porsche 356, which is an iconic Porsche from the 1950s. So if you want to buy something for your eight year old, no, no, trust me. No human being of actual human being size. Actually, actually, many people who own Porsches uh-huh. buy these to have them in the collection. Well, yeah, to collect them, but they're not driving them. Some are. Are they like. Uh, you haven't asked me the price yet. Oh, oh, oh. you know what? I'm going to ask you one thing before I ask the price. Yes. How fast do they go? Uh, obviously, nowhere near what the real ones go for. And so it, it doesn't mention it. Of course but not. I would not. No. Okay. All right. So how much are these things going for? Since they're hand built. Of course. And crafted. And crafted. And, uh, and one of a he, kind. And he's built only 150 of them. Right. All spoken for. Right. $11,372. So, should your child need an $11,000 vehicle? Which, which is cheaper than, Dad, can I borrow the keys? Which starts at about 80000 and up for a Porsche. And Your teenager is uh, not, not going to be... No, not even close. And this 356 yeah. as a collector's item, yeah, you're talking probably six figures. So To, 11 to drive it. Huh. To own one. Uh, I just think they were cool. and I They are cool. It. I mean, it's sharp. Christmas is right around the corner, there folks. You go. 11, there, there you go. 11000 although they're all spoken for. Pretty much. They're all sold. Iconic Porsche replicas in miniature form with electric drives. And if you're willing to go to the uh, German town uh-huh. of Ludwigsfeld in the Schaumburg district of Lower Saxony, uh-huh. you too may be able to order one. I'm going to have to ask the suits for a plane ticket. Yeah. I think that deserves a one-on-one interview. That may be. Um, here you here <laughs> go this is something you can get with <laughs> a major a major electric utility okay said they're going to be carbon free uh in electricity production by 2050 okay now wait wait what xl energy has oh. made a commitment okay and, you know i read this and i thought it was so cute right because the utility that provides power to where i live uh-huh will be totally carbon free in three years Okay. They're 50% carbon free now. And they vowed to be. Now, if you don't know, our show's produced in Iowa. And in the last 10 years, we've had an explosion of wind, what we call wind farms. What we call that live out in the country, those very annoying red blinking lights that ruin my countryside at night. But you know what, Sasha? 
if we're going to move away from fossil fuels like you want us to, I do. this is one of the ways we're going to get I, there. All I'm saying is all they need to do is put them all in one field, kind of like a cornfield. Kind of like they do around our state. Uh, and Iowa being one of the top three producers of wind energy in the country. I know you all are feeling me on this red uh, no, light thing. No, they don't understand. Yes, they do. Uh, but this company's talking about uh-huh. uh, carbon emissions reduced from 80, 80% mm-hmm. from 2030, uh, by 2030 from 2005 levels, which is pretty awesome. Okay. 60% by 2030 uh, is their previous target, and they've already cut emissions by 35%, meaning coal, natural gas, they're on a way out. Okay, now, where are they located? The, they're talking, in this case, Colorado. But they own plants uh, and provide energy throughout the country. Okay, so I was curious because I think our power company is just here in Iowa with just tidbits in Wisconsin. And And a few other states that are contiguous. But the bottom line is that they're one of the premier energy companies that are already made a major effort to be carbon free. Now, do you know, did it say whether they're going solar power I don't believe our wind power. They talked about making a commitment uh, to renewable energy, right? And when you're talking clean energy solutions, you're basically talking about two. That's what solar I was and wind. Yeah. Uh, they did not get into that in okay. terms of how they plan to get there and how much money they're planning to invest. All right. But the fact is, we've been talking on the show for some time. Yes, we have about the migration away, um, and been getting some pushback actually from some of our listeners. Uh, relative to the evolution of electric energy, energy storage systems, and renewable energy like wind and solar. This is not a thing, and it's not even uh, something that is kind of a niche anymore. It's no. where we're going well, and as they, a world. They just updated our power lines out where I live uh, for the last six months. I mean, all new power lines, all new. In, in preparation for, they installed almost 50 uh, windmills or, you know, wind energy turbine thingies. Wind power. Yeah, wind power. Hey. Um, it's a thing, people. Uh, we're moving away from fossil fuels, and it's for real. It's happening. There are large companies committing billions of dollars to this. Everything, not just your car, but your home and everything else. When we return, it's all about General Motors, and it's not business as usual. We explore don't touch that dial. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're listening to Road Ready Drive. This is the new 1951 Nash Air Flight, built the same way as the modern airliner and streamlined train. Specially designed for greater strength, greater safety, and the smoothest, quietest drive you ever enjoyed, thanks to exclusive Nash Air Flight construction. In a Nash Air Flight, you'll see the world through an undivided sky-wide windshield and enjoy the comfort of Nash's exclusive weather-eye conditioned air system 
There's legroom galore and hydromatic drive if you desire it. A spill-proof storage drawer instead of a cluttered glove compartment. And there's economy that's amazing in a car so big and luxurious. So before you decide, take an air flight ride in the world's most modern car. The 1951 Nash Air Flight. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Roadworthy Drive. Welcome! I'm Ken Chester, along with my sidekick, the bright and brassy Sasha Little. Hey, you! Hey. We're so glad you could be with us. <laughs> now we're going to talk about General Motors. General Motors. Yeah, General Motors. It was once said, what was good for General Motors was good for the United States. And yeah, it was said just that way and not the other way around. In its heyday, Sasha, did you know that GM had over 70% of the full-size car market and employed as many as 1 million people? In the 70s? Yes, ma'am. You know what? We've actually talked about that. Yes, I could totally believe that. Since and that would make that uh, that slogan 100% accurate. Mm, well, debatable, but that's what GM One million people? If one million people decided to have a cut rate in pay, or one million people no longer had a job just like that in communities where they were located? Yeah, dead. Could be. Yeah. And, and that's some things we're talking about. Um, since that day, an energy crisis, more stringent fuel economy and emission controls, and coupled with a series of reorganizations that started in the mid-1980s and culminating with direct assistance from the federal government about 10 years ago, has resulted in a very different company. Okay. But here's the thing. All right. You realize why the federal government actually stepped in to save GM and Chrysler? Why? Suppliers. Okay. That makes absolute sense. Yes. What most people don't know, the dirty little secret, is that the suppliers that work directly with most of the companies in the United States to build vehicles, and that is everything from Mercedes-Benz to Chrysler, are pretty much the same group of companies. And if one of their major customers goes broke, it has the ability to pull the whole industry down with it. Yep, that's so true. So that's what people didn't realize. And here's another little free tidbit. Okay. Ten, roughly five years before GM and Chrysler had their problems, those very suppliers were fighting for their lives around right around 1999-2000. And, and some of them actually went broke. Now, are you talking about like small business suppliers? Uh, are we talking? No, 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 no. We're talking about companies, for example, okay. Chrysler, Ford, and GM tried to spin off their parts supply making subsidiaries. Ford was Visteon, Chrysler was AccuStar, I forget, uh, and GM just spun off a bunch of companies that went various places. The problem is those companies weren't strong enough to stand on their own. And in fact, one of GM's subsidiaries, Delco, that they had spun off, right. actually did go into bankruptcy wow. before GM did. And, uh, yeah, they tolerated a strike. Delco was making brake parts and other things. And they offered, honest to God, American workers. They said, we've got jobs uh, and we'll offer you a new contract. But you're going to take a 67% pay cut. 67%? How do they expect these people to live? Uh, I can't repeat on radio what was said. Right. Because, you know, this is a family <laughs> show. But, yeah, that didn't go over too well. Just, yeah. Not, I remember not you so bringing that up in a previous uh, in, a, in a previous show, yeah. uh, that that was not family. Uh, no. Right. No. 
Let me give you an overview of the General Motors of today. Okay. Okay. GM is going to put out there, in case you haven't heard, Oshawa Assembly in Oshawa, Ontario, which is one of their highest quality plants, Detroit Hamtramck Assembly that was built in 1985, and Lordstown Assembly in Warren, Ohio, which makes the Chevy Cruze and was the sign of labor unrest in the early 1970s when GM tried to automate that plant. Ah, uh, yes. GM's also going to close a couple of... Uh, Parts plants, a transmission plant, and an engine plant uh, as well. GM's argument is transforming their local global workforce to ensure it has the right skill sets for today and the future. And they're looking at reducing salaried and salary contract half by 15%. So this is not all hourly on-the-line workers taking the pain. Yeah, but isn't this after they have offered to provide free training and education for the last five years to bring some of their workforce up into the autonomous? Well, here's the thing. GM is trying to do a balancing act of cash flow, profit, and investment. The economy is going real well right now, but GM's looking at the future. And what does GM see? Increasing tariffs, a need to be prepared for the autonomous economy a need to go away from fossil fuels and creating new models that don't mean individual ownership of ever-increasing priced vehicles. They said, GM said it in 2015, that the day of individual private ownership of cars, of that model, right. is no longer sustainable. Both GM and Ford admitted that almost four years ago. And the sad reality of that situation is, as the decrease of car ownership occurs the need for workers to create these cars is also going to go down and as you make autonomous vehicles you're not going to need to make so much exactly. because all of a sudden you're going to cut down didn't we say in a previous show if when in an autonomous world you're going to cut down the amount of vehicles actually on the road by what two-thirds two -thirds. if singapore was an example and if Singapore was the first place where autonomous vehicles were being tested, right. uh, they, and if you follow that model, two things. One, in the Singapore model, they expected a drop in private ownership by two-thirds. Yeah. Also, people in the industry are saying that the average autonomous car, particularly in a ride-hailing situation, uh -huh. would put on six times as much mileage as the average American does now. That's 15,000 miles is considered average if you're driving, owning your own vehicles. Average mileage in the United <laughs> States to... Yeah, I know. You do more. <laughs> she, Sasha says she does that in a week. Anyway. <laughs> I did not. Not quite. Uh, but they're saying... An autonomous car in a ride-hailing service would put on 90,000 miles a year. Well, okay. A very, very, very good uh, testament to that is that, uh, what was she, 12-year-old girl that bought the three Teslas that do the run back and forth yeah, for I commuters? Yeah, I think she was older than 12, but yes. Yeah, still. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. GM's looking at a future that will, in, that will encounter electric-powered crossovers, trucks, and SUVs. Uh, and not so much sedans and gas-powered cars. They're, yeah. not, they're not going there. But the key is, unlike automakers in the past, GM is being proactive, not reactive. So the days of, you know, uh, a bunch of cars they can't sell, being cut rate offered for sale, them days pretty much over. So there's a change. They're trying to get ahead of it, and they need to generate enough money to even be in business uh, even five years from now. So we've got that to deal with. So, 
Coming up next, what's really going on? Is it hype or is it the truth? We got the real scoop, so stay tuned. Roadworthy Drive is America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. Real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken in studio with Sasha, my co-host. Welcome. Say hi, Sasha. Hello, there. Sasha. How oh. are you doing, darling, today? Oh my goodness. In this bright and really? sunny. Really? Really? I'm just, just saying. No, hi let it no no. Let, no yeah. That's I'm what little, you asked me. I'm to worried do. about you, girl. <laughs> anyway. For those of you who want to learn more about the show or listen to the podcast of past shows, be sure to check out our website roadworthydrive.com we have all kinds of information available there including where we are in the world that is social media and we have some updates to that website that we're working on that we know you are going to enjoy sasha and i will let you know when it's time to unveil it i will i will let you know because i'm going to be doing a sasha a sausage <laughs> oh my a sasha page um where you're going to be able to go to either the wheels of non-consent or you're going to have my blooper videos um obviously my actual videos uh pictures of the cars that i've done uh and then there's also going to be a tech with sasha ver uh page for those of you who want to go more into the weeds right for all of those stories that mr <coughs> Co be nice. uh, chester won't let me actually share with you guys on the radio. Yeah. Me um, and the suits, by the way. No, no. I'm pretty sure it's just you. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, that's something that we're working on. Give me a little bit. My hope date for this is for the coming of the new year, 2019. Yes. Um, and then we, of course, you can also catch our podcast on the Iowa or the podcast Iowa. Actually, podcast IA. Is how you get there. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, yeah, I keep saying uh, Iowa right. and it's IA. Uh, or Google Play, folks. We're or, there, there. Or Google we Play. are there if you are indeed truly mobile. Now, this hour, we are exploring GM, General Motors, the recent news of plant closures and layoffs, and more importantly, why it's different this time. Okay, now I've got a question. Yes, ma'am. Before you start getting to the meat of it. Okay. Now, in the first segment, or in the second segment, you had pointed out that in the 19... Or, that the government had bailed out GM. I hate that word. They lent money to GM. They, they paid lent, most of it back. Yes. Okay, fine. For the purpose of the suppliers. Now, as we have talked about in past shows, electric vehicle, or let's start out. Combustion engine vehicles Internal have how many? combustion, gasoline, and diesel. Right. Have how many working parts? Uh, Several hundred. Right. Are you sure it's just several hundred? Yeah. Okay. And your electric vehicle has how many working parts? 20. 20. 20. So do you think- And no fluids. No fluids. No belts. None. Yeah. Whatsoever. No, no noxious gases. No. Heavy metals that may leach into the atmosphere or into yep. the ground yep. or anything like that. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And trucks that are going to lay all of you truck-loving people in the ground you need to be keeping okay. up with this. We'll, anyway, we'll talk about that another my time. My point is, mm -hmm. what is this going to do for the supplier industry? Understand something, that 
what we call tier one suppliers. These are the leading suppliers that work directly with the automakers, often called original equipment manufacturers. Mm -hmm. These large companies, which have suppliers of their own, and it's a whole supply chain, which is global, by the way. Right, right. Um, they're going to continue to adapt. In fact, are adapting. Um, but the challenge is fewer, <laughs> few, what? I missed it. You did, because my point is you go from hundreds of different parts that you're going to, yeah, that you are going to be uh, manufacturing for your combustion mm -hmm. engine vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. To literally 20. There's only so many people that can make these 20 different parts. But autonomy, uh -huh. other types of vehicle design, because there's a whole interior to design. And that's true. When we talk about thousands of suppliers, we're talking about the entire vehicle. The awesome thing about an electric vehicle is because of how the batteries and the motors are all in the chassis, it gives manufacturers unbridled opportunity to design crazy stuff uh, and low volume number stuff, which we've talked before because last week we talked about being able to develop products uh, in metal, 3D printing. Right, that's true. That's so true. what's going to happen, you're gonna see an evolution a consolidation, some suppliers will indeed go out of business or into other realms, but look at the thousands of companies right now working on electric and autonomous vehicle technology. There's all billions of, of dollars oh, wait, and all of thousands of folks. Uh, yeah, but I'm not even talking <laughs> the automakers. Right. I'm talking all kinds of companies, both current suppliers, companies that are gonna be new suppliers. This is the real world that GM is in. This is the challenge GM is facing, not just GM, but Ford Motor Company, uh, Fiat Chrysler, Honda, Toyota, Mazda, Nissan, uh, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, pick one. They're all in the same boat. The world is changing, and the cost of it going to an electric future when you have billions of dollars in an infrastructure building internal combustions, engines and transmissions and the parts that support them as opposed to an electric future where you're going into all the parts, way fewer parts that support it, GM has to survive today building vehicles that people still want, which are pickup trucks Amen. and SUVs, Amen. while at the same time developing uh, outlets like Maven, Yes. Uh, and electric vehicles. In our final segment, when we get there, we're going to give you a glimpse of where GM is actually going to go. But now, yeah, go ahead. I do have a question, though. Mm -hmm. Do you think that GM is fighting an uphill, or do you think that modern, like uh, Teslas, okay, like Workhorse, the ones that started out, we are producing electric vehicles from the get, do you think they have... Do you think that GM is actually feeling threatened by these smaller companies that are doing the electric vehicles from the get as opposed to making that switch? Absolutely. That's why they paid a billion dollars for cruise automation. Okay. Um, the thing is, GM has over 100 years manufacturing vehicles. So a certain building, kind of vehicle. Yeah, but building at scale, the things that you need logistically, yeah. working with hundreds of suppliers, the body in white, uh, the testing, the verification, the engineering of building at scale. Uh -huh. These are things that large automakers got down cold and Elon Musk is still learning. True. It's not his technology that got him into trouble. It was actually scaling up to manufacture at scale, which he's now just hitting his stride. Okay, but again, I have to interject. Built the safest vehicle on the planet. Yeah, 
and it costs over sixty thousand dollars. The trick is, and the challenge is, a hold van on. is coming. No, there are a lot of companies today that build vehicles in the fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollar range. Yeah, and for most people, most people can't afford a seventy thousand dollar car, even today. However, as this gets going, and GM is working towards it because their bolt is less than forty. Right. And as they build to scale, and we reported that too, mm-hmm. that the automakers were taking this to the factory floor to build and make a profit from job one. That means numbers. That means getting your unit costs down, getting your engineering costs down, getting everything down, and they will do it. I will contend to you that GM and Ford will figure out how to do it because they've got over 100 years of building. This is just another propulsion system they have to perfect. My only point in all of this was just to prove what GM is up against, and this is not an act of malice. No. This was an act of we've got to get to the future. They're making the change, and they've got to do this balancing act. So we'll see how they do. Now, finally, the final segment, what all this means to you And finally, why it matters. You're not going to want to miss this. Roadworthy Drive is America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. This is the fourth and final segment for this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester in studio with the vivacious Sasha Little, my co-host. Before we tackle the last part of this hour's topic, a programming note, the second hour of our program, yes, Virginia, there is an hour too. Yes. Yes. Features our all-new breakout segment called Tech with Sasha. Sasha shares mobility tech in a way that only she can. And what the to- what is the topic you're going to be talking about, Sasha? Okay, so the topic is going to be autonomous farming. What? Autonomous farming, sir. Can you put those two words together, actually? You, actually, they have been putting those two words together for the last 10 years. Really? Um, and somebody hmm. here in our own local, local, like not even 10 miles away. 15, but who's counting? Right, who's counting? Mm-hmm. Um, has some very interesting uh, tech out there for you farmers. So I decided to go autonomous for those that are like, we don't like autonomous vehicles. Autonomous Farm- in the rural part of America. Yeah, and, Imagine that. And been there. Like been there. Mm-hmm. Farmers are like, yeah. Folks. All that is in the next hour right here on Roadworthy Drive. If your favorite station doesn't carry number two, no worries. You can hear it on our website, roadworthydrive.com. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Now, finally, we come to the part of the program where we cover (laughs) what all this change at General Motors means to you, the American motorist. First of all, as we mentioned in earlier segments, change at GM impacts the whole industry, regardless of make. Second, GM is not alone at these drastic changes even while the economy is growing unemployment and gas prices are low and things are stable that's not how automakers usually do business they're usually reactionary usually it's when sales drop off a cliff then they're all about closing plants and cutting workers and all of that stuff yeah but not this time we have talked about uh new car sales and sales period softening Yes, but that's not what's driving this. No, it's not. But by the same token, they're seeing the writing on the wall. And they're seeing the early sketches on the wall. 
And they are deciding that before their beautiful, you know, Silverados, or not Silverados, I am sorry. That is GM. Um, Silverados and Sierras and and well, Suburbans I meant, I meant and Yukons. And, hybrids. But uh-huh. before one of their hybrids hit that wall going, you know, 70 miles an hour, they are deciding to start now. Let me put it to you this way. If I was going to describe GM's future lineup, and I don't mean in 10 years, people, and I don't mean in five. I mean starting next year. Yep. GM's future lineup will run on electricity, drive itself, and get this, will fly. Now, Wait, fly? Fly. Fly. GM has had conversations with air taxi companies about using the car makers' autonomous and electric vehicle technology to create flying cars. So- GM's in it now. So they haven't bought out like no. a flying. They're looking like like a cooperation, like the mm-hmm. like the Pacifica with the Waymo, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. But let me start with this. While vehicle sales are a small part of GM's business, and this is coming from GM's vice president of global strategy, and I quote him: "EV adoption isn't optional; it's mandatory going forward." Yeah. That's Mike Abelson. GM's vice president of global strategy. He said this um, last month. Last Last month? month, Last month, November. Last month. This of this year. I'm going to say it again. That would have been right after SEMA. EV adoption isn't optional. It's mandatory going forward. The rest of the world is moving aggressively towards electric vehicles. You'd be right. And he needs, and they've admitted... New battery technologies allowed electric vehicles to travel longer. Yep. Uh, in the case of Chevy Volt, Bolt with a B, 238 miles without recharge. Battery costs have been dropping. We've reported that here. Yes, we have. And it's making it affordable for many. So even GM is putting their money where their mouth is. They're closing those plants, but they're going to increase the production of the Chevy Bolt built at its Orion assembly plant north of Detroit by 20% this quarter because of strong sales. It's also important to note that the Bolt, again, B-O-L-T, not Volt, but Bolt with a B, is also the platform GM is using to launch its autonomous vehicles. And they're going to launch an autonomous driving uh, self They're going to launch an autonomous ride-hailing service starting next year. Folks, that's 2019. That's literally next year starts in a few weeks. Next year. Wow. Big question. Right now, GM said they thought a bit about electric pickups. GM's not putting any, any effort into it, but this is me going out on a limb. I'm willing to bet money GM's going to revisit that. With yeah. the quickness. Yeah, because, I mean, you have, well, how many now? Three? Three at, that are coming out? You've got least, the Tesla, but and, the and big Ford, one, Rivian, yeah. Rivian. Yeah. Um, and Tesla. Well, Tesla. And Workhorse. A, yeah, Workhorse. And Bollinger. And uh, some others that are, you know, we're sort of following that haven't really announced. Right. But here's the thing. There's going to be 20 new electric GM vehicles by 2023 starting in the next year and a half. Wow. They're not playing, folks. They're not playing. And here's a curveball for you. We've been talking electric, right? Yes. Yeah. The 20-strong fleet will include both battery-powered and hydrogen fuel cell-powered electric cars. What? General Motors. And that costs billions of dollars, folks. Yes, it does. You got to, in order to be... In business, 
five years from now in the automobile business. Yeah. You better be spending billions of dollars, billions with a B, on autonomous technology, electric technology, battery technology, safety technology, and we haven't even begun to talk about a communications technology like vehicle to everything. Well, yeah, and I mean, as far as the security that goes into, you know, the vehicle te- to technology. Privacy. Yeah. That's why GM is doing what they're doing now, right now. They got to do it while they got the money to do it. Yeah. And they need to streamline so that they can exist in the future and push these billions of dollars they need to be spending in order to be a player in the next 10 years. If they don't, and uh, we know of one company that's in big trouble. Uh, if they don't, they won't be here. It's that simple. Okay, so, so so let me just put for the truck lovers out there, though. Mm-hmm. If they're looking to buy a brand new truck like Silverado, next year would be the year. Mm-hmm. If they're not going to make the pickup trucks anymore. But they didn't say that. Oh, okay. They did not say they're not going to make the pickups. All right. Because uh, that's where their money's coming from. I know. Pickups right. and SUVs, They got that's what's going to fund this. Yeah. Cars... Their plants are running below profitability, which is why most they're Always. only going to have four car plants when they're done. None of those four car plants, with the exception of the Bolt plant, mm-hmm. that's one of the four, is operating at break even. They can't make a profit below eighty percent utility. I am seeing that. I remember SEMA two thousand sixteen. I know exactly what you're talking about. The, the Chevy Colorado ZH2 concept ZH2. got pictures, hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle. They're going that way because of refueling times and uh, and uh, infrastructure. So um, that wraps up our look at General Motors. Be sure to tune in again next time when we do it all over again. Bye-bye. Roadworthy Drive is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of Roadworthy Drive Productions Incorporated.